Today's episode is sponsored by the Sprout Marketing Daily Dose membership. You can sign up at apartmentmarketingtoday.com using code MHMY85 for an extra $15 off of membership. That is apartmentmarketingtoday.com. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast, a show for busy multifamily and real estate professionals that want to kick butt in their careers without sacrificing their lives or their sanity. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. Today's episode is part two of the conversation that I had with Mark Hurley, 2019-2020 Texas Apartment Association president and president owner of Highland Commercial. If you guys missed this episode, um, the first part of this interview was episode four. I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was such an incredible interview and we've gotten such great feedback. Part two, we just dig in a little deeper. If part one told you anything, it's that Mark shares so much insight. He's so easy to listen to. And this is what this episode, it proves no different. So today we're talking about how to deal with work-life balance and career burnout. What do you do when you don't feel like you're being heard at work? Maybe you feel like you have a really obstinate boss or supervisor. He also talks about having patience when it comes to reaching your goals and how to be a lifelong learner, why that's so important. And one of my favorite parts comes towards the end of the interview when Mark shares his rules that he has in life. They started with his dad and it's something that he's implemented and continued on. And I think that when you hear this episode, you're going to want to create your own set of rules. So without further ado, let's jump into my second part of the interview with Mark Hurley. I'm excited to continue our conversation with Mark Hurley. Thank you for sticking around and doing a part two. Thanks, Barbara. That was fun. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, this is where the heavy hitting questions come in. Are you ready for this? I think so. <laughs> okay, brace yourself. <laughs> you know, um, we talked a lot about people in part one, and uh, you and I have talked a lot that we tried to do the right thing. But when you when you look at different forums and you look at different conversations that are happening online. The, the stories come out uh, in general in our industry that not everything is, you know, always rosy. Not everything is always up to the standards we want. And one of the areas that I've noticed and it just comes up to the top is people not feeling validated, not feeling valued. Employees in the industry feeling like they're just another, you know, cog in the wheel. How do you feel when you hear, hear that? What, what are your thoughts on that? First, it's, it's a tough business to be in because sometimes you have to do difficult things. Evicting a resident is a very difficult thing. Getting somebody, putting somebody out of their home because they, could, they lost their job and can no longer pay is, um, it's consciously our managers have to do it. Subconsciously, it's not in line with what, how most people are. And so there's a dissonance there that makes their jobs quite difficult. And they almost have to, persuade themselves to be someone they're not mm-hmm. in that. And that makes their jobs quite difficult. And, you know, in our company, we, we want people to make the right decisions. And most of the time, they, actually all the time, they have the authority to work with residents. And we like to give them that. 
We've tried to give our, our managers decision rights. We hope they make mistakes. It's an opportunity to, to correct them, as I've said, and for them to learn. And But yes, I can see how managers can feel very down in, in a very difficult job if they're not given the authority to be who they can be. If you're given the responsibility and then you don't have the authority, again, there's another dissonance. Mm -hmm. So I hope the industry is changing in that way, but I do know this exists out there. We try not to be like that. And, you know, it, you know, people aren't going to be happy unless they are, they're doing what they're capable of doing and doing with it all they can do with it. So that's, that's the best answer I have to that because I, I know it exists out there. I hope it's changing. I think it's good to just even raise the, the subject up for conversation. You know, as companies grow, uh, you know, even with third-party management, some of these companies are growing at such an incredible rate that getting people into their system and having the same level of care that maybe, let's say, you can have for knowing your managers individually, sometimes there is that disconnect from the top, you know, down. And so I think that that happens as well. So. On a personal level, what would you say to a manager that is feeling that level of burnout or is feeling like, you know, they come to work, they're trying to give everything they can, but a lot of these are, you know, just like in anyone dealing with their own situation at home, what would you kind of say to, to them as what can they do to maybe balance a little bit some of those feelings? Well, I'm, it's hard to give advice on that because I'm not in their shoes, but, in, but I, I'll speak from a personal perspective. I'm happy when I am able to to um, do the thing that I'm good at which that I that I love to do which is I love to make business decisions that bring value to customers and contribute to society and when I when I am doing that and when I have the capability to do that or given the capability to do that that's when I'm at my happiest that's when I'm in this state of flow that that um, Mikhail Chichen Mikhail talks about where you're, you're at your most happy. If you're not in that place, if you are not being allowed to be who you can be, if you're, if you're a bird who's not allowed to use their wings, then you're going to be very unhappy in what you're doing. And that probably merits change. Uh, so either you can change that from within or you can change what you're doing. That's the only two ways I know of in which you can get out of that unhappy situation. If you're a bird, you're meant to fly, and if you don't fly, you're gonna be unhappy. I think you said it perfectly. People are oftentimes looking for somebody else to conform or to make them happy in a certain way. And there are certain situations that there is no way other than maybe exiting the situation. But you also brought up a different point that said, you can also change the way that you're reacting to that situation as well. So how would you say to a manager, let's say, or somebody on a team that maybe is just feeling not happy, they're feeling not heard, as a boss, as a leader, how would you um, most be open to listening to somebody sharing that with you, where you would actually really hear them? And I know you're a little different because you love communication, but how would you recommend to somebody to say, hey, go talk to your su supervisor about these feelings? Uh I think you've touched on something that find a mentor of some kind, somebody who has a higher skill level 
than than what you have. And and there are that for all of us, there are people that are at a higher skill level. And and I'm happy to say that there are people through being in the association, for example, with whom I can pick up the phone and ask for advice all the time. And I do both people, you know, to get their advice mm-hmm. on on various things, both higher and lower than myself, by the way. I would recommend that if you're in a position in which you're unhappy and, and you're, not, you're not able to fly the way you're supposed to fly, you're not being used to the best of your capabilities, that you, know, you find mentors, you learn as much as you can, reading is invaluable, and it's a slow process. And just get better at what you're doing. And I think if you do those things, you'll find that sooner or later people will start magically listening to you more. And then I would absolutely go and have a conversation with somebody higher up in your company, or if, if that person in your company is not reasonable, somebody outside of your company, and, and get their advice, and then follow their advice. And um, small steps towards improvement generally are, work, work, are what works the best. And I think you must be continuously improving yourself. And if you are, are not happy with where you are, and you just start by continuously improving yourself every day, things will magically start to take place. Yeah, you'll, it'll be like, did all these people just get better? But no, really, it's that you started to make those changes and the situation improves itself. I think sometimes, um, you know, one of the patterns I've seen recently is there's a lot of complaining happening on a lot of these online forums. And it's different than what you're talking about. Mentorship and asking somebody for advice, not that I don't think you can do that in a Facebook group, but there's something very different about picking up the phone and talking to someone or talking to someone face-to-face. Wouldn't you agree? There is. And I really like the, the Benjamin Franklin story with, you know, when somebody didn't, when somebody didn't like him, he would borrow something from them. So there was a, a congressman that didn't like Benjamin Franklin and Benjamin Franklin needed his help on various things. So he borrowed a book from him and the, the, the congressman reluctantly lent him the book. But if you, if you, my point there is the congressman then started to help out Benjamin Franklin. And I'm not saying go and borrow stuff from Mark Hurley. What I'm saying is once somebody starts to help you become invested in you, and something inside them makes them, the more help they give you, the more they want to give you. They own that now. And they're proud of the fact that they own it. And they want you to be the best you can be. So just by getting your foot in the door and asking for small little bits of help from people, you'll probably find that they will increasingly want to invest in you. And what better thing can you have than somebody who's better than you in terms of knowledge or, or, or resources that then wants to invest in you? And Facebook forums are probably not the place where that is a personal one-on-one conversation where you make that that person feel like they are special enough to want to give you help. Um, uh, That's probably going to be one of the best investments you've ever made. On that note as well, if you can form a group of people, yeah, you know, I don't really talk about this very much, but I have a group of, of people who we meet with from various backgrounds and we meet about once a month and we go into all sorts of areas and we talk about how can we help society and 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 gaining knowledge from just sitting in a discussion group with a group of, of people from various backgrounds can also help so there are multiple ways to do this 
Right. So for somebody that says, oh, I don't know where to go to get a mentor, you talked about the apartment association. We talked about, I think those groups, sometimes what you will find is you hear a voice similar to yours or very or radically different, but that something rings true that you can reach out privately and start a connection. So that's great for that. And I love the idea of a, of a group that you form from different backgrounds. So this group of yours, are they all people within the industry or do you try to get people from different walks of life? Different. There are people... Supposed to be a secret group. Is this a secret society? <laughs> We're not supposed to talk about the group, okay. but for this you, <laughs> it is people from different walks of life. Okay. Some, you know, hopefully people that can go. We're going to make a difference through this type of societal need. And I have a nutritional background. I have an architectural background. I have a business background. And again, it goes into getting outside of what we're doing every day and learning other backgrounds. And in that group, you know, people can have drastically different ideas to what you have. And it forces you, and we're not allowed to put down anyone else's ideas or argue with each other. So it, it makes you listen to what other people have to say. And that's invaluable too. Yeah, I think that's really a good point. I think sometimes when you're a young leader, at least this was the case for me, I very much came from one very solid perspective of things. And I came in with, this is the perspective. And years really have a way of humbling you and realizing that your way is beyond not just like the best way. I mean, it's not the only way, not the best way. And it's it's such a learning experience, but if somebody can start their career and from the beginning have that learner's mindset, it would shortcut them a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, one of the things my dad used to say over and over and over again is, he used to quote Socrates, he used to say, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. And my dad was quite confident, maybe even sometimes arrogant man. I think he was just reminding himself of that. And, and it's, it's good to remind us to come in with that. I really don't know much. Attitude is, is uh, humbling, but it also opens up a world of, of uh, you know, limitless learning to you, which is exciting if you have that mindset. So speaking of learning, I think this is a great segue. One of the things that I know that's been very important for you, and you can just tell, is you're an excellent communicator. But I know that that's something that you've put effort into. Can you talk a little bit about how you've developed that skill and why you saw it as being very important? I'm going to go back to my dad again. My dad was, I think he was debating champion of Ireland. And sometimes when you have a... a father who is so outgoing and so overpowering, you might find that the effect on the child is, I'm getting deep here, you might find, I'm so worried about the secret society that I've revealed. Nobody needs to listen to this. I think that I was very introverted and, and very shy. Still am very shy. If you put me in a big room and then my responsibilities are TAA, I never come out of there without aches all over my body because I'm tensed up the whole time. But he put me onto a group called Toastmasters, seeing how shy I was, which is a public speaking group. It was a public speaking group back then. It still follows the same format, but it's more of a leadership learning group. And for $36 every six months, or $6 a month, you can go to weekly one-hour class, one-hour meetings in which you learn how to communicate. And it has three main parts to it. One is the prepared speaking part, where people prepare speeches and give them. The second is evaluation of those speeches, where somebody had to listen very carefully to what the person was saying and then give them positive and negative feedback. So you learn to listen and you learn how to give feedback that helps. 
And then the third part is impromptu speaking, which is you get to learn to speak on your feet. And that has been, I've been doing it on and off since 1995. And it has been invaluable in my learning how to stand, my body language when I'm communicating, how I, how I present it, and, uh, you know, uh, making, giving a concise message in a lot better way than I'm giving this message right now. <laughs> <We're talking about laughs> communication. So I, I have to go back on a regular basis. Sorry, I cut you off. I have to go back on a regular basis to, to remind myself. But it, for $6 a meeting, it's the best value in education that one can find. Well, so, you know, we have sometimes, I, I see this sometimes where a manager or a leasing agent will say, my company doesn't invest in me. They don't send me to trainings. And what I'm hearing from you is there's training out there that for $6 a month, you can take the initiative. And this is a skill set that has helped you throughout. Yes, and, and in San Antonio, there's probably about 40 or 50 different Toastmasters clubs. You can find one pretty much on any day of the week. And at most times of the day or evening, you can go to them. And I know it takes time from somebody's evening if they go to the evening class, but it's highly worthwhile. The various lyceums, by the way, our associations do lyceums to develop leaders and from the industry. And both San Antonio and TAA both promote Toastmasters clubs, and they both give Toastmasters-type training. I just came out of the TAA Lyceum where we where I helped give the TA, the Toastmaster training in the Lyceum. And I was surprised to see that there were a few people who had gone through Toastmasters. So it's gaining, I think, a little bit of traction in the industry. Our managers certainly can go to, we offer one on Fridays at noon, where any of them can go to it and we'll cover their membership costs, which is practically nothing. And again, amazing value for a dollar and a half, basically, for them to go to this class and learn how to communicate and learn how to listen and get critiqued. And it's, it's invaluable for them. So that to me is like, that's almost what people call a soft skill set. When we talk through the skill sets that you look for in your team members and you're you know, looking to hire team members, what are the things that you look for when you're thinking, I'm going to bring somebody on to join our company? We look for people that want to learn primarily. We generally have, promote from within, always promote from within. We have a lot, a big bench. We pay the extra money to overstaff our properties so that there is always a lineup of people waiting to be managers. We never have a problem, to the best of my knowledge, in staffing a manager position. Mm -hmm. We're looking for people that willing to learn, that have integrity, that are virtuous, and who have talent, not necessarily in our industry, but have some kind of talent in that they are diligent, that they know how to deal with people, they come from the areas in which we have those communities so that they know the type of people that we are dealing with. The rest of it we can teach to them, and we do teach to them over the years. Those are primary. And then I also look for a few scoundrels who will break our rules. I do. And I learned that from my dad as well. And I'm looking for some people that will challenge us. They're, again, they're like the diamond in the rough. And Every now and then I'll walk into a training session where somebody will say something like, why don't we have bottled water in our, prop in our offices to give to the residents? And that would make sense to a lot of people, but I always felt like, you know, I'd rather just 
give them Wi-Fi and say, when I have to rent, then provide the coffee machine or the bottled water. But when somebody argues with that, it forces me to rethink things a little bit. And that's the diamond. Mm -hmm. So everything that I've heard all through our first conversation in this one is small changes, like whether it's in your operations or in people or in your personal life. And that theme seems to be very, um, very harmonious in your life. How have you seen that, that small changes can make a huge difference? Well, you know, I'm going to go back to my dad again. One of the first things he taught me as a five or six year old was compound interest. Mm -hmm. And Albert Einstein said the greatest power in the universe is compound interest. It's this small incremental changes can add up to surprisingly large benefits. We, so we've operated all the time like that. We, we, we have a map where we, a set of, of rules basically, I'll get into the rules later, yeah. but, but um, adding a small number of units every year has been the way we have proceeded with our business. We never wanted to add too many when property prices were low, we never wanted to stop adding when property prices rose. Mm -hmm. We're kind of a consistent percentage of units gets added. And over time, you know, starting with 28 and then adding, you know, 20 and then adding, you know, 25, you end up getting to where we are today, which is about 2,500 apartments and houses in Texas and then the various other properties around the world that we've added. So over 25 years, it adds up to a lot. That does that. Then we do this thing called plussing of the properties, which is a Disney concept, where we never let the properties, we don't let the properties lag and then do big changes to them. We, over time, every, every year go to, a, go to a different property every month and pick out the woodwork, the paintwork, the, and then we, and we do all of those things and then we see where we can add to the property to make it better. So that if the appraisal districts now look at our properties, they're 1969 properties, but they categorize them as 1985, 1987 properties, which is terrible in a way, but it's also great because those small incremental improvements have meant our properties are not dying. They're getting newer all the time. And that's made a big difference to our, our bottom line, if you want to get... And then adding education to people, reading. I mean, if you read, you know, 100 pages a day over 25 years, you've read hundreds of thousands of pages and you've garnered hundreds of thousands of bits of knowledge. The story that I like, and I think you've probably heard me say this before, is the man who planted trees. The Jean Genot story about the, the hiker who gets lost in the mountains of France and he's rescued from dying by a shepherd and he finds out the shepherd is planting one tree a day and he comes back years later after World War I with PTSD and he sees saplings growing all over the hill. And then over the years, comes back on a regular basis. And over the course of 40, 50 years, it becomes a forest with flowing rivers and with, with a village and happy children running around through the forest. And that's, that's um, small incremental changes. And that's been the philosophy that we've used throughout all these years. And again, it's kind of a, to finalize that, when I look back on my life, I want to look at those small incremental changes and the big forest that's become is what I'm envisioning. What would you say to somebody that a lot of people just don't have the patience to wait for the end result? So how do you stay focused when you've got these really big goals, but you're just doing them a little bit at a time? I would say to that person, the journey is more fun than the final destination. You know, and the, um, 
the process, the journey, that's where all the fun is, not in getting there. There's been many times where we've worked for years to some kind of a final end, and then we've gotten there through all the struggles and we've gone, now what? Now what do we do next, you know? The fun is in the journey. Absolutely, I agree completely. Once you're there, you're like, okay, what's next, you know? And I would, I would add to that by saying, I remember those wartime years when we struggle from month to month more fondly than I do these, these years. I, I like where we are and I love seeing what's happened. I really enjoyed that the journey here. So with that, you know, I'm just, this is totally a purely curious question. How have you done the small changes personally? Like, do you have something in your routine that you do to reach personal goals or what, what kind of things like that have you done little by little for maybe something you're wanting to do personally? I like learning languages. So I'm, I do languages every day and, and that adds up to being able to speak a language. I, do a silly thing. I, I learn poetry and I learn a line a day and I have developed quite a large library of memorized poems in, in my vocabulary that I can bore people with at any time I want to. <laughs> it's useless, but it's, it's a, it, it keeps showing me and reminding me that if you just do a line a day, uh, you know, more financially investing in an S&P 500 index that I started doing many years ago just by having automatic deduction done from my my bank account every month can add up to an incredible, you know, it was one of the best financial successes without doing anything I've ever had. Um, that just learning, learning different aspects of the business and new aspects of it every day, reading as the knowledge I've gained through all of that. And, and, and what I, the funny thing about reading is the more of it you do, the more you go, Oh my God, I'll never learn anything, everything. I know nothing which is kind of getting back to that I know nothing thing. So the constant learning, the constant digging, and, and what, what do you feel, though, you know, will that ever be safe? Like, will you ever feel that need, or do you just kind of want to keep going? That's the beautiful thing about learning and reading is you can never, you can never get to the end of it. You could, it's a joy that will never be fulfilled. So I suppose that's, that's part of it. I've, I've enjoyed, in terms of incremental changes, I've enjoyed seeing the properties get better. I love seeing the people get better in advance. One of the things that we did for our employees, and we don't do it anymore, they, it's one of those things they didn't seem to have that much interest in, but we had them start to build portfolios. So that if, you know, the goal for us was always to develop people to create some talent, not to distribute it, not, not to be taking in uh, redistributed talent, so by creating that, helping them build their portfolios of the community events they put on, the plussing and the improvements that they participated in, you know, showing how an apartment community manager and assist and their staff, you know, they run a million dollar business or multi-million dollar business. They do everything from marketing to hiring to the finances to dealing with customer service complaints to growing that business and improving it. And we want them to be able to show it in a portfolio setting their achievements. So that when they did decide to leave us and maybe go on to a higher paying job or if there was nothing with us uh, that could further them and we would love to see them move on if that's the case, that they had this portfolio, this kind of this art body, body of art that they could take with them. And I loved seeing the, that grow for each of them as well. I think that is one of the most incredible things as a leader when you were talking and you're, you know, you, 
we each have our goals that we're reaching, but then the next level is when you start to appreciate other people reaching their goals, even if you just played a small, small part in that, it's such a fulfilling thing to experience. It is. It's surprising, it's surprising how nice that feels. Yeah. You've talked a lot about wartime and peacetime, and I just want to dig into that just a little bit more because that impressed on me years ago when you talked to me about that. How did that come about? Was this an experience that your dad literally, like how did he bring that to life and how did you see that through the early years and, and even now? Well, it was in the early years, we, you know, I would literally be running to the post office at one minute to five to pay our property taxes because we just managed to get enough money together to pay them. And, you know, we had debt and we're out of debt now, but, but having debt is a big is a big worry. You know, you, that means that things can be taken away from you at any moment. Um, you don't really own your stuff. The bank owns your stuff. So uh, in the wartime years, it was tough. Um, we don't, I don't think we had a lot of the right employees at the time as well, because we were just desperate and didn't know what we were doing. And I'm getting lost on track. So repeat the question. Well, I think what, what does it mean to you the wartime versus the peacetime? We, we, so it's tough. It's where you go to bed worrying every, you know, yeah. a, a lot of the time you don't know if you're going to make it. You are, you have this cognitive dissonance inside you. I, I don't like adversity very much naturally. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll confront it if I have to, but I don't like it. So I had to be somebody who I didn't really want to be. I didn't like sending people home because they were, they got into work two minutes past eight. We, we wouldn't do that now. But in the wartime years where you're struggling and you have all this stress on you, you become a different person. And, and I didn't like that, you know, and a lot of people didn't like me either. And I didn't like the people didn't like me. <laughs> I like people to like me, believe it or not. But I can deal with them not liking me, but I prefer it if they do. Yeah. So, so it adds a lot of stress onto you. But again, I wouldn't have it any differently because I learned a lot from that. The, the most... I've learned in life is from the adversity. And my dad knew this too. Every time we got close to making some headway, where we would have a little bit of money in the bank at the end of those early years, where we weren't really even paying ourselves, every time we'd have a little bit of money in the bank, he'd spend it. You know, he'd, he'd make improvements, improve something at one of the properties, replace the sewer line, or go and buy another property. And, then, and we'd all be slapping our foreheads going, oh, no, you know, we were just almost there. Why? He did it on purpose. He always put us under pressure. When he passed away, you know, in, in it was 2008, our, our bank reserves got locked up because we'd invested them in, in this thing called auction rate securities. They were giving us about 5% on our reserves. We'd built reserves by then. And that was pretty darn good. I mean, now, now you probably get 1% in a CD. So five, five to 6% was a really good return. But what that we should have known was the lesson that we'd always been told, which is the higher the return, the greater the risk. And that was a high return for doing nothing. And so there was a great risk there that we didn't see. And so our, he died, our reserves were tied up, Hurricane, I forget which one it was, I mm -hmm. destroyed three properties in Houston. So eliminated a bunch of our income and we self-insured. And so I didn't have the self-insurance reserves to pay for the repairs. 
And then we had a fire. And then the IRS decided to audit 40 of our various companies around the world. And on top of that, we had no cash to pay the estate taxes on my dad's debt. So we were asset rich by then, but cash poor. And, you know, and uh, I'm trying to keep my mom alive at the same time as all of this. It was quite a lot of adversity. Those were the real, that was the real wartime years for me. And, you know, going back to the question earlier about five managers out of six quit, that was the worst until that point. That kind of got overshadowed. And, but it was a fantastic learning experience. There's very little that can phase me now after all of that. So the wartime years are necessary. After coming out of that, you feel strong. I cannot imagine. So when you were saying that right now, I was thinking, please let that be the second time. Let there not be <laughs> anything worse than that. That was it. That was it. it was, that was really, you know, I, I think you go into, it's amazing what the human being can accomplish when they're in sort of self-defense survival mode. Well, you were on a panel with two other individuals and you guys were talking about some of those things and you brought up specifically constraints that or rules that you all put into place to make sure that operations were, uh, were where they needed to be. What was really interesting about that panel is it was three individuals that had done things really different. I don't know if you remember the one I'm talking about. One was a third party asset and lots of debt, lots of borrowed money. And I could feel you cringing as he was talking about all the debt that he had. And it was so interesting to hear you talk about being debt free, but I think those rules played into to part. Can you talk about the rules? Yes, they're, they're critical. They've been critical, they've been invaluable. And uh, I, I think I do remember the panel that we were on. And one of my heroes, Jerry Winograd, I think was on that panel as well. He was in the middle of the two of you guys. Yeah, <laughs> and that was where he should be, in the, you know, in the middle. Because yeah, Jerry is an amazing genius of a man, and he's at a level that it's good to have him at that higher mm -hmm. level because I can aspire to it. And we're, I think Mike's going to Houston tomorrow and uh, may go and look at some of Jerry's properties if, at a breakfast they're going to, I hope. The, so your question is the rules. The rules. After, Can we talk about the rules? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. After my dad passed away, I needed to quickly write down everything I could remember about what he taught me before I forgot it. I was adrift. And it's actually quite interesting in that for the, I felt I had to do things exactly my dad's way right after he passed away. And what happened years later was I reached a point where I decided I didn't have to do things his way any, anymore. And that was quite an amazing moment for me when I liberated myself from that. Not, not that his way wasn't amazing and I may still be proved to be wrong on a lot of what I'm doing, but that was a critical moment in my life as well. The separation, the feeling, like I felt like I grew up. It's, um, it's almost this moment of becoming a man. Mm -hmm. You're still a boy for many years after. But back to the rules. <laughs> I wrote down all the things that I, that, I, that I thought were what he would have wanted us to do. And I added a few of my own in. And one of those was grow incrementally a certain mm -hmm. amount every year. Another one was stay out of death. Another was hire good people, hire them for their virtues, train the talent if necessary, but mostly hire good people, kind people. And buy for residents what we can buy for them at a small cost and only charge them that small cost. We do only month-to-month -month leases with our residents. And it's pretty much day-to-day -day because part of the rules was 
make residents want to stay with you, but if they don't want to stay with you, don't force them to. So any resident can come into our office tomorrow and say, I don't want to live here anymore, and we won't charge them any penalties or any, any you know, and we'll probably give the, find every reason in the world to give them their deposit back. And I like to call the deposit the fond farewell. So that, you know, we hope that we have treated them well enough that if they do leave, that they will come back and giving them the deposit within four or five days of them leaving, hopefully the next day, in full, even if there are some holes in the apartment, that's our advertising. You know, that's, that's residents bring in residents. And we do get a lot of return residents. I think part of, one of, part of the issues in this business is we think that, unlike a shop who wants a return customer, when somebody leaves us, we don't expect to ever see them again. Right. We make no effort to try and bring them back. And in fact, we try to take as much out of their deposit as possible. And, and, and make them pay for every little thing, even for walls they may not have damaged, you know, prorated over five mm -hmm. years. That we want to give them back as much as we can. So th those are the things. And then we wanted to do always be thinking in terms of what's good for the community. How can we contribute to the community? Those those are our drivers. And and make small increments. Going back to small, mm -hmm. we never wanted to make too high a margin on on our. We wanted to make a steady margin, and grow any kind of profit through what I like to call the moral profit through adding volume rather than jumping up those margins. And uh, so, so we're always, and that, that forces us to look for keeping our costs low, which keeps us fighting fit. So we're always looking not to how we can raise the rents, but rather how can we lower our costs so that we can keep the rents the same. One of the you know, we, we I told you we provide free Wi-Fi for everybody. We were providing free cable for everybody. But the, and this is an example of how we're following the rules, but the cable became too expensive this year in the new renegotiation. So we tripled the speed of the Wi-Fi. We went out and we bought everybody a digital antenna that, you know, can get them about 60 channels, but not everything they want. And we're not going to be providing the cable anymore. So this is me being a little bit real. We jumped back. It just wouldn't fit. That was hard for us to do because I know that there are more. The old, we did a lot of focus groups and surveys, and we found that the older the person was, the more they wanted the cable. The younger people are fine with the streaming. So we knew that we we're now going to impose a cost burden of about seventy dollars on some of our people. We're hoping to alleviate that with the digital antennas. We're hoping to alleviate that with maybe some education on the Wi-Fi. Um, but the small thing we did do is, at the end of our contract, we weren't quite ready to ease our residents into it. And that's our fault. But instead of just cutting off the cable, we extended it for an extra month, which cost us sixty, $70,000. And that was, that's an indication of what we do, you know, in terms of we're willing to pay that $60,000, $70,000 to not upset our residents, to give them that leeway. It was worth it to us to do that, um, even though they're going to lose it sooner or later. And they may just be just as angry, but it was the right thing to do by following the rules. Those 19 rules that we wrote, I, when I am very tempted to buy a property that is sort of beyond our financial our cash means, in terms of it would make me uncomfortable to empty out our bank account to buy this property, I go to it and the fact that no debt is written on there then tells me that that property is too expensive and I shouldn't buy it. Look somewhere else for the gains. And repositioning is 
an example of that. We'll just invest back into our own properties. But the really, really nice thing is we have kind of a new set of rules that we've added. And we got together with our managers, and I took those rules from my dad, and we got together with our managers lately and assistants, actually everybody, maintenance managers and assistants. And we had a company come from the UK and do a cultural building session with mm -hmm. us. And the number one thing that everybody wanted our, our model to be was be kind. So that became the number one rule. And when everybody's getting together and sharing their stories and with what we're doing here, when we talk about do we, do we push out all our existing residents? Because we're fairly large enough in San Antonio to have an impact on low-income residents mm -hmm. that couldn't afford anywhere else to live. We then make the decision, no, be kind, don't do that. Reposition, but don't charge extra. Don't shove our existing people out of the market. They need us. Well, so many lessons that I gathered from there, but to drill it down to for, for everyone, I think the rules to me sound like in a world where you have to make so many decisions every day, they help with that like, decision fatigue because you go back to the rules and you know if you follow the rules that time has shown that it's going to work. That's, that's absolutely right, and it's what we're always looking for. And you, you put it much better than I did and much more concisely. There are so many decisions to be made. You need a guide. And things will change. We think differently in good times than we do in bad times. And, and, I, and I needed a consistent set of rules that could help guide me in both good and bad times. And, that's, that, and it, it's, it's flexible. I mean, we will deviate from it occasionally, but it, it's great to have them. Well, and I think for those listening, you know, this is not just for a management company. As individuals, we can have those rules for our life, for what we're willing to do, not willing to do, how we want to act, how we want to operate. And it helps us, like you said, when the mood shifts or something is alluring and it kind of grounds us and it centers us back to that place. Absolutely. On, on a personal level, I have my own set of rules. Because I, I know when I'm happiest. I... There, there's this great program in the UK called 7UP, and it, it took children from the age of seven, and it, it revisited them every seven years. So they it did it seven, 14, it goes back to when black and white, it was black and white, you know, in the 1960s or something. And those people are in their 70s today, and the concept was, give me the child at seven, and I will give you the adult. Meaning that essentially our core, core selves don't change. How we apply all of our core selves changes, but who we are. And as a child, I was always this little guy who wanted to tell people what to do and have strategies and make decisions. And I'm still like that today. And I find that when I'm doing that, I'm at my happiest. Well, no, that's not true. When I'm doing that and it aligns with what makes me feel good, which is bringing value to making a contribution to society, bringing value to employees and customers and, and uh, making a contribution to the community. When I can align the business decision aspect with, with that, then I'm just in heaven. That's gold right there. I think anyone that's feeling the rub or feeling the discomfort, looking at your life where you're not aligned on your values because we can't separate what we do at work with who we are at home you know, to a certain extent, you have to be in line. Yeah, you have to. And, and, and you're right, it applies for the home as well. I mean, even when you're with your, your, your children or your spouse, and, and I probably, to be honest, this is where I'm a bit weak, you know, because I, I love what I do so much. But you really have to, 
realize what you can be and then make it happen to the best of your ability. And if you're not doing that, then you're not going to, and that, that's the home environment as well as the work environment. You know, realize that you have the capacity to be a loving husband, father, and you have the capacity to teach your children well, then you're not going to be happy if you have those capabilities and a lot to offer unless you're constantly moving in that direction. Well, and it sounds like the incredible gift that your father gave you, I mean, how much impact it's had on your life. I mean, you've mentioned him so many times that to do that for your children yourself is probably a huge life goal. It, it is. One of the greatest things that he did, I spoke about, you know, he was tough, he was clever, and he, you know, by the way, he said, he would always say he's not very clever, that his success came through working hard. And I think that applies, that, that's the case with everybody. I mean, nobody's that clever that they're going to be successful based on pure cleverness. It, it's all about working hard and applying, applying the knowledge that you have. And uh, you can grow that knowledge, again, through daily, constant reading and learning. But the thing that he did that was probably the most impressive for an Irishman born in the 1930s, you know, uh, was, and they were pretty tough back then, especially from Cork, where he was from, is hugs and kisses and I love you, especially when just after he'd be angry with you, you know, he would, he would uh, give you a big hug and a big kiss and uh, maybe shake your rough with your head. I hated it at the time, <laughs> but I remember it. I try to do that with my kids and, and it's nice. Is there one of your children that reminds you the most of you? The most troublesome one? Yeah, yeah. the scoundrel? Is he the scoundrel? Yeah, he's a <laughs> and, and he's... There is, but I'm not going to say okay, it. No, no, they no. You've already revealed so many secrets on this. <laughs> yeah, I've talked about the secret society. I and know. I know. The All right. Well, as we wrap up, you have had so many incredible stories. What are you excited about now? What are you looking forward to? I'm excited about our really cementing, you know, this decision-making process. You know, having these, these, we are really coming down to we're going to be driven by bringing value to our customers, to our, to our employees, to the community. And that's what's going to drive us. And I think it, it's amazing that it's taken us so long to just verbalize that. And, and I'm really excited about being more driven it, by those things. So the repositioning that's going to come is going to improve the lives of our residents, the, collaborate, the further collaboration amongst our employees, just thinking more in, along those lines. Those are the types of things that really excite me right now. It sounds a lot back to what we talked about, the core, the heart, the people. So that's awesome. It is about the people. And, and I'll just say this as well. If you take two different, for our industry, two different apartment communities in the same class, around the same age, that there's very, you put them up on a board, nobody will really be able to tell which company owns which property. They're really kind of the same in the end, at the end of the day. There's very little difference. The difference really is the people that staff those properties. People are the differentiator. If you can get, if you have managers sitting in a back room, on a, you know, whose wings are clipped, they're unable to do, fulfill their potential. They are never going to be able to compete with or be as happy as people who have been given, you know, decision rights, who are able to make a difference and who have found a way to fulfill their potential. Those people, they make magic happen. So 
So don't we don't want to stifle those people. We don't want to stifle those people. They are the big difference. So as we're wrapping up, I have one last question before I ask it. Is there anything else that you feel you want to say for people in our industry to hear? No pressure. For people in our industry to hear, I like our motto, be kind, be compassionate. And to be to give a more practical note to that, as TA president, I happen to know that if we don't be kind and be compassionate, we're going to be forced to be kind and be compassionate. I'd rather we do it voluntarily. Um, you know, the world is changing at a very fast rate. By the way, that's also something I'm very excited about. This industry is changing very quickly, and it is, there is disruption that's happening, coming. I saw it in the UK, and and so staying abreast of all of that is an exciting thing. But for people, in, uh, and I digress a lot. <laughs> but for people in our industry, I, I would say. You're going to have to find ways to be kind and be compassionate. It will be forced upon us if we don't. But it also will make you happier because it's more in line with who we are. Subconsciously, most of the people in our industry attacks, attracts really amazing people. And so I got to read the Lyceum bios of the San Antonio Apartment Association Lyceum class because I, I did a segment with them. And in every single one of them, the superpower that they asked for was something that was that would help other people. Because I was, I wish my superpower was to bring people together and make them all be friends and help each other. Mm -hmm. Or I wish my superpower was to house every person in the state so they would never be homeless. None of those superpowers were I, I want to be able to collect as much money as I can for my apartment community. The people that make up our industry, it attracts amazing people uh, who are good-hearted. And if they're not allowed to do that, there's going to be dissonance with them, and that causes them to be unhappy in their jobs. So um, be kind. Be kind. And I think that remembering that everyone has many struggles will help remind us of that, to, to really think about what people are dealing with nowadays. It's, so it's, I love that that is your company motto. That is a skill to be developed as well, putting yourself in another person's shoes. To feel their pain in your heart. Yes, something that I'm guilty of not doing in the early days. Of, it's a learned thing to pay attention to that. So now as we come full circle, um, one question I want to ask everyone I talk to, because this is an important one for me, is when people think of Mark Hurley, what word, one or two words, do you want to come to mind? I'm very, you know, I've said that I like to learn poetry and a lot of poetry influences me. There's a, there's a little quote by T.S. Eliot that, that I gave in my TAA speech and it is to do the useful thing, to say the courageous thing, to contemplate the beautiful thing, that is enough for one man's life. So what I would want people to say of me is he was useful. And I know that you ask the question, if everyone asks, how can I be useful? I love that. And that's right, yes. How can you be useful? Yeah, yeah. you're well done. You are very well prepared for this. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. We've probably been here for like hours and hours. <laughs> I appreciate all of your wisdom, and I hope we can do this again once this is a little older and we have, I have a little more experience, and we'll see how it goes. Well, you did great. You're very well prepared. It's a pleasure to see somebody who's so well prepared. Preparations such a, a lacking skill of people so and i really enjoyed doing it thank you for letting me talk so much about myself <laughs> well i loved it i got to hear so much about you so thank you mark i appreciate it thanks mark. <laughs> bye, bye.
Today's episode is sponsored by the Sprout Marketing Daily Dose membership. You can sign up at apartmentmarketingtoday.com using code MHMY85 for an extra $15 off of membership. That is apartmentmarketingtoday.com.